Well, today we come to the fourth and final week of our discipleship and stewardship study and fellowship, and I know many of you have been enjoying the time together and the going deeper into the scripture and deeper into uh, our faith in Christ. And of course, we looked at how we go deeper as individuals in our relationship to God. And then we looked at how we go deeper into our community of faith as uh, people who believe and share together in this uh, life of Christ. And today we're focusing on how this body of Christ then overflows into a world that is in need, a world that is hurting. And so we read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, uh, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, this passage from Matthew is a pretty familiar one to most people, this separating of the sheep and the goats, and we think of it as the uh, final judgment or the last judgment. It is the end of times, and in fact, it's part of chapters 24 and 25 that are all about what happens at the end. And of course, we can't be sure if this means the end of our individual lives or if it means the end of the whole when Christ returns, but either way, it's kind of an important word for us to pay attention to, because as we go through 24 and 25, we find uh, that Jesus is teaching about being ready, about preparing ourselves, about expecting to meet our master, 
about using our resources in a way that makes us ready. And then we come to this uh, place where all nations are gathered before the throne and the judgment takes place. Here it gives us a vision of living our lives in light of the end. And there are several things in this passage that we really need to pay attention to, that we need to go a little deeper into. And one of the first things we see here, importantly, is that all nations are gathered together, all, but the judgment then comes as individuals. Now, Remember that in the ancient world, they didn't have nation-states quite defined the way we do. They, they had people groups, groups of people who had affinities together. And so all of these different nations are brought before the throne, and then each person within it is made to account for their lives. Almost as if, you know, there's a scale here, and, and Jesus is going through and putting good things on one side of the scale on the right side and bad things on the left, and whichever way the balance goes, that's whether you come to the right or go to the left. But what's interesting here is that it's in a way saying to us, look, in any kind of group, there are those who are good and those who are not so good. Sometimes we have a tendency to stereotype or to think of one kind of people group all in the same way. Uh, when I was in the military, you know, there were good people and bad people who were serving in the military, but sometimes I hear people say, everyone in the military is honorable. Well... Those who have served can tell you there are some exceptions to that rule, though many, many are honorable. Or we say, uh, everyone who is coming across from Mexico is a criminal. Well, probably some of those are just good people having a hard time. And so it's really interesting here that uh, Jesus isn't saying that whole group of people is going to be judged as a whole, but rather each individual. And it also means, it doesn't uh, mean that just because you're a part of a church that you necessarily are crossing over. Just because you're in that group doesn't mean when you stand before and the, and the scales are weighed out, that that uh, church card is going to trump everything else and send you to the right. And so there is this sense then that all of us are going to ultimately face our maker. And the one thing that we are told about the kind of weight that will really count at that point. The one thing we are told about that judgment is, what have you done? What have you done for me lately? It's not here like Jesus is saying, 
Gee, if you just confess me as Christ, as your Lord and Savior, you got your ticket stamped to heaven. It doesn't say anything about that, that all it takes is a confession of Christ. It's almost like in our society we've minimized what Christ asks of us. It's also not like it says, and if you're in a church, you're on your way. Because guess what? There wasn't even a church back then when Jesus would have been speaking these words. And that's not to say that we don't need to confess Christ. We do. It's not to say we don't need to be in the network and love and relationship of the church. We do. But these are things that are supposed to be shaping us, pouring God's love into us for one reason, so that we can go out into the world and pour this abundant love of Christ out upon all. Jesus says, what is it that you have done? Now, there are many people in this church who know, who keep that end in mind, who are good at doing on behalf of those who are needy and hurting in the world. Some of you do it through this church. We feed the hungry on Wednesday nights, and some of you are there to help serve. We do a, a coats for the homeless, or kids, and, and hot dogs for the homeless, clothing for the homeless, and some of you are really good about going out and, and helping with those, and some of you are part of other organizations that do tangible work to help others, Circle of Care, Lions Club, whatever it may be, you go down to Jesus' house so that you can help those who are in need. And that is, in fact, what Jesus asks us to do. Sometimes we say, but, but what can I do? I'm just one person. There isn't much that I can do, and especially when it comes to bigger issues. What can I do that uh, last night there was yet again another mass shooting? And I was going to say, you know, it's been a while since we had a mass shooting, but when we've kind of forgotten about doing anything, and sure enough, I woke up, and guess what? There was another mass shooting in Commerce, Texas. But what can I do? Or... Just a week or two ago, a Tatiana Jefferson was sitting in her home at night playing games with her nephew and a sort of rogue police officer killed her. That's horrible, but what can I do? We always ask this, oh, but there's nothing I can do on these bigger issues. There's a poet by the name of Guante Meyer, who's a, a spoken uh, poet, and he has this poem called Quicksand, and I was going to show you the clip, but it's a long one. And basically in the poem he says, upon coming across a person unexpectedly caught in quicksand to the waist, I have to stop and ask, 
Is quicksand really real? I read on the internet sometime that quicksand doesn't really exist. But then reconsidering and seeing a person caught in quicksand to their chest, I say, well, maybe it's real, but don't we first have to get all the facts? I mean, after all, maybe he wants to be in the quicksand. Uh, maybe he was doing something wrong that led him to be in the quicksand. Maybe there is an organization that is working already to get him out of the quicksand. And what can I, as one individual, do? I need the facts before I act. And then he says, well, but being an open-minded person, I decide that maybe I should think of something. And seeing this guy unexpectedly caught in the quicksand to his neck, I reach into my backpack, I pull out my pen and paper, and I start to write a poem. And then I'm going to post on social media. Someone needs to do something about quicksand and make a frame so we can all put our pictures. I support doing something about quicksand. And he says, and then I decide, well, maybe I should do something. And turning to the guy, caught unexpectedly, disappeared in quicksand. And now I offer, he says, my thoughts and prayers, because it's the least I can do. Turns out in his backpack, paper and pen and a rope. But what can I do? You see, I think God is always saying to us, you can't fix everything, but there are some things that we can always do. If you're worried about uh, the relationship of uh, the police force and the communities, maybe you uh, begin to hold uh, coffee with a cop and begin to build relationships and help one another know each other. Maybe you're going to work with an organization to do buyback of bump stocks or whatever to try and minimize some of these uh, shootings. Maybe you're going to call your, your legislators or you're going to write a letter with some uh, thoughtful uh, uh, input as to what might actually be done differently because all of us know something. All of us can actually do something. I wrote the uh, mayor of Fort Worth because I lived in Fort Worth for eight years. I knew police officers who were good people. I knew and worked with people in the north side and the south side, the, the poorer communities, and I knew good people there. And I think if maybe they could do some kind of intercultural work and some bias training with the police officers, they'll discover those like this rogue guy and say, you're not ready to be on a beat. What can I do? Maybe I can't do a lot, but I can actually do something. And that's what Christ asks. What is it you can do? What is it you can do? And if we all do what it is we can do, maybe it does begin to change the world bit by bit.
the last thing that's so interesting in this passage is the way it becomes Jesus who we're actually helping. That, to me, is a very humbling moment. Can you imagine standing there uh, before your Lord, and he says, you know, you remember when you, Linda, remember when you did that? Do you remember, Carlos, when you did that? And he says, you did it to me. Wouldn't you fall down on your knees. It's a moment of humbling. It's a moment of reminding us that only because of the power and love of Christ at work within us and through us can we do anything to make a difference in this world. And that, not only that, we've done it to the very heart of Christ to the image of God that exists in every single human being. Most of you know that about 10 days ago, I lost my second dad, Ed. And I'm grateful for those who reached out with uh, expressions of care and support. Uh, even pastors need um, to be lifted in their grief, and I appreciate it. He and his wife, for 30 years, have been my parents, raising me in the Christian faith, uh, loving me, shaping me. And of course, Ed has been my mentor and my model in ministry all those years. Uh, so much of him lives in me, in the way that I preach and teach and do pastoral care and everything else. But what's remarkable about him, I think, is that he lived his life with the end in mind. He began preaching around the age of 13, and he never stopped doing for others any time in his life, no matter what. I was a stranger, and he welcomed me. His crowning glory in ministry was building a place called Warren Village, which is in the urban core of Denver. It's still there. In the late 60s and early 70s, he built, raised the money, built a community for what at the time was called unwed mothers, and now is referred to as single parent families, with low cost housing, with childcare, with social services, with resources, so that those who were poor and those who were disenfranchised by society, remember there were still a lot of racial divides in 1968, and he thought they were wrong. He built a place that would make a difference in the world and still is doing that today. He never bragged about what he did. He never boasted. But every one of us who knew him 
knew that in him we saw the heart of a servant, the one who would do as Christ commanded. And we all have no doubt, not an iota of doubt, where he is today. And so, people of God, we have a choice. We can live with the end in mind and do what is in our power by the grace of God to make a difference among those who are in need and hurting. Or we can ignore what Jesus teaches. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.